<laughs> I love that. Those boys look forward to seeing each other all week long. So, well, we have been working our way through the, the book of James, and the book of James is an interesting book because it is um, very, very practical. Um, and sometimes it's actually a little bit hard uh, to read because it's so practical, it just feels like you're getting poked in the eye. Um, and you just like, man. And, and James asks this question in James chapter 2. He says, if you have faith, or say that you have faith, and you don't do anything with it, what good is your faith? Um, if your faith makes no change in your life, if your faith doesn't bring any wholeness or any completion anywhere outside of Sunday morning, your faith is useless. And so he begins to unpack for us all the different places where our faith should be um, changing us, transforming us. Uh, those of you who know me know that I work for a, a streaming service out of Santa Monica. And uh, so there's TVs everywhere in my office. And everywhere I go, there's clips of this and that going. And I couldn't help but stop this week um, at a clip. I couldn't even hear the sound, but I knew the soundtrack in my brain. Uh, it was Jim Carrey's Liar, Liar. And he's walking into the office. And if you haven't seen the movie, Jim Carrey is cursed with um, not being able to tell a lie. And so he's a lawyer. And, and so he, his, his son says, yeah, my dad's a liar. And they're like, no, a lawyer. And he's like, whatever. Um, but but um, uh, he's walking into the office, and he can't tell any lies. And, and this woman is there in this hideous dress with her hair all over the place. And she goes, hey, boss, what do you think of the dress? He's like, anything to take the tension off your hair. And then, you know, like, he's, he's just going through, and he, all these things are coming out of his mouth. And he's like, I can't believe I'm saying this. And I totally relate, right? I mean, have you ever said something that you just think, I want to take those words and snatch them right out of the air and, and, and just take them back because I, I don't want that out there, right? Those of us who talk more than others, we experience this more often. Um, but the average American will say um, they will have 30 conversations in any given day. The average man <laughs> speaks about 20,000 words a day. The average woman speaks about 30,000 words a day. I didn't used to know where those words came from, and then we had children, um, and, and I began to hear my wife, stop that, put that down, stop touching that. It's like, like didn't, what did I tell you? And like, she's saying the same things over and over. That's where those extra 10,000 come from. Um, but we will spend a fifth of our life talking. In one year, your conversations could fill up 66 books that are 800 pages each. Um, so all of us understand that words are something that is part of life. It's shaping our life. When I was raising uh, support for us to plant a church in Los Angeles, uh, we stayed with people all over the country. And we would go in and we'd stay with these people. We'd speak in the church. We'd, we'd raise money. And, and um, we went to stay with this couple who were babysitting for another couple that we didn't know. And they had this one-year-old child who, for the first year of his life, had never been put down. He had never, like, they had carried him everywhere. He was demand-fed. He was, so imagine he gets dropped off for the first time ever because they have to go to a funeral, and, and he's with all these people he doesn't know who don't want to hold him the entire time and feed him continuously. And the kids scream bloody murder for the whole entire weekend. And so um, the, that following Monday, um, the, like, I was kind of thinking about, man, uh, this is why we don't have kids. Yeah, you know, it's time. Uh, Tanya and I have been married like six or seven years, 
and we didn't have kids. And so some guys from this church were actually giving me a hard time, like, hey, what's the deal? Like, you've, you've been married almost seven years, you don't have any kids. And I was like, oh, man, kids are expensive and they're noisy and they're messy and, you know, whatever. And I was then trying to, like, I'm going to steer the conversation and move it away from me and towards parenting styles, you know. And then they can just talk about that and not talk about me because I was a little uncomfortable with that. And so I was like, I mean, like, this kid we were staying this with this weekend uh, that must have never been put down, demand fed. I mean, what kind of parent doesn't put their kid on some sort of schedule? And all the guys faces dropped and they all looked over at Chris and it turned out Chris who I'd never met he was the dad of the child that we had stayed with all weekend long what do you do there's there's no way to pull it back yeah I mean you either like double down and then you really look like a jerk or you try to act like it didn't happen or you say I'm sorry but it doesn't matter right the words are out there our 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 words define us our words we shape them and they shape us, right? They shape what we experience. In, in James chapter 3, James is going to talk about our words and the way that they shape us. And our words, I mean, our words can bring life, right? But our words can bring real pain. Like, think about the words that you have heard that have brought you the most joy. I love you. Will you marry me? I'm pregnant. Or I'm not pregnant. Like wh whatever the, the, the thing is, right, you, you, you find joy in God, in, in the words that, that God allows us to speak to each other. And so as we are in James chapter 3 and we're talking about the way that faith changes everything in our lives, we come to the tongue. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Now, if you have a NIV or a, a King James or a New King James, um, it says, not many of you should presume to teach. And that's actually probably the better translation. Not many of you should presume to teach. Because it refers back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And when it says, not many of you should presume to teach, he's, go he's, he's talking about, in Deuteronomy 18, it says, but the prophet who presumes to teach a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall be put to death. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if his word does not come to pass or come true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. And that prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so he starts off and he gives the stern warning and he says, not many of you should presume to teach, for you know that those who teach will be judged with a stricter a stricter guideline. They'll be judged with greater strictness. Um, and, and the idea is this. Lots of people like to say, God said. But here's one thing that you probably will never hear from Kirby or from me. Um, God said. And then it's not followed immediately by us reading something that God said. Because when you say God said, there's this weight that's put on you. And the weight is put on you to, to speak what God actually said. And in the Old Testament, I mean, imagine today, people that are on TV and they say, God said. If we had the same rules they had in the Old Testament, like God said this, but it didn't happen. And then there was a public stoning. All of a sudden, people stop saying God said, right? I mean, they, they, they look and they go, I'm going to be really careful about saying God said. He says, not many of you should say, like presume to say, God said this. Because you will be judged with greater strictness. 
And he says, we all stumble in many ways. And he begins to unpack for us, like, about our words and how our words shape our future. We will be judged. How our words shape our present. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, that man is perfect. He's complete. He doesn't lack anything. He's able to bridle his whole body. And then he gives a couple of examples. He says, we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. And we guide their whole body as well. And look at ships also. Though they're so large, they're driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder. And wherever uh, the will of the pilot directs. And also, the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. It, it, the word boasts of great things literally means has enormous potential. Our, our words are shaped by us, and then they shape us. And he gives these examples of like, um, we've all seen the 95-pound jockey on a 2,000-pound horse. And that jockey is steering that horse. Why? Because he's got a bit in the mouth. And we've, like, if you've gone down to Long Beach and you've see, seen Queen Mary or Queen Elizabeth come through, I mean, if you imagine the, the Queen Elizabeth, um, uh, I think that I read that its anchor is as heavy as 10 cars, right? It's, it's got acres of, of uh, recreational area, and yet this relatively small rudder steers it through. And he says, in the same way that these enormous, the enormous potential of, and the power of these things can be controlled by something small. There's enormous potential that you have, and it can be controlled by something small like your tongue. There was a guy when we were in Los Angeles, um, he, had, he was in his last year at USC, and he started coming to our church, and he came to faith. And this guy, I don't know why this was. He grew, he grew up in Washington, but he couldn't get through a sentence without dropping an F-bomb. Like, he just, not even a single one. And so he'd come to church, and he'd tell me what a great sermon it was. And even then, you know, you're like, wow, like, this is, this is weird, you know? Um, and, uh, and so uh, he graduates from USC, and he can't get a job. And, I, and I'm like, hey, you know, like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. Nobody wants to hire me. I said, all right, let's, let's take a look at your social media presence and LinkedIn and Facebook, F-bombs everywhere. I was like, dude, you are an HR nightmare. Th this is, yeah. I was like, tell me about your interviews. Like, and he's like, well, I just told the guy. And he would start telling me. And I was like, no, you can't say that, yeah. right? It, it's, it's the, the tongue is this little tiny thing. And this little tiny thing can steer the whole direction of our life. And when his tongue began to get under control, all of a sudden, he became gainfully employed. And it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Our words get us our jobs. Our words get us into relationships. Our words build friendships. Our words, if we're a salesperson, it makes us a good salesperson or a bad salesperson. It's, it's what makes us decent negotiators. Some of us, our words uh, have lost us jobs. Some of us, our words have gotten us out of speeding tickets, while others, our words have gotten us kicked out of school, right? Like, our words define us. We shape them, and then they shape us. And he says that our words, they boast of great things. They have enormous potential, an enormous dark potential. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And our tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. His tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. Uh, those of you who um, remember the, the fire in Australia in 1983, which now pales in light of what the, the fires have been this year in, in Australia, you know that, that those fires that burned down 
hundreds and hundreds of acres, thousands of acres, um, were all set by one match, right? The Chicago fire. The Chicago fire burned down like 18,000 buildings. It burned up um, uh, 120 miles of sidewalk, 2,000 lampposts, um, $200 million in property damage, all because there was a single flame in Mrs. O'Leary's barn, right? And, and, and the, the fire he talks about, he says, you're, the tongue is like a great forest that is set aflaze, uh, ablaze by such a small fire. And that tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. It's the, the picture there is um, uh, they, when, when you wanted to surprise someone in, in battle, you would go to the edge of their town at nighttime. And you would take some wagons and you would light the wheels on fire. And then you'd send them through their wheat fields and through the middle of their towns that had thatched roofs. And, and the horses are running to get away from the fire and they are setting the whole entire course on fire as they go through. And he says, this is the tongue. The tongue is this thing that just lights everything on fire on its way through. And he says, every kind of beast and every kind of bird and every kind of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. The idea is that we, we are setting things on fire and our tongue is uncontrollable at times. When I was in seventh grade, I had a really good friend. Um, I had moved into a new school, and one of the first guys to become my friend, uh, I felt super lucky because when you go in, I mean, seventh grade is already super awkward, right? Uh, especially for me, I hadn't hit my growth spurt, um, except maybe a little bit wide. Uh, back then, you went to Penny's, and, and you'd buy a pair of jeans, and they would say, Husky, on the back, and you're like, oh, no, I got to wear the Husky jeans, right? And, and I, I was like, Mom, I don't want to wear those. And she's like, well, nobody will see it. I was like, sure they will. When the comb that's sticking out of my back pocket is, you know, like shows the people are going to see the, 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 oops, I think I broke something. Um, uh, like people are going to see it. I, I, so this guy befriends me. And, and he is the nicest guy. And he's super popular. And he has already hit his growth spurt. He looks like he's a senior. Um, he's got these all-American good looks. He's He's athletic in a way that I only wished I could have been. Um, like, he, he would get on the ball court, and he would play with juniors and seniors, and he would keep up with them, and he'd get out on the soccer field. And, and I just thought, man, I want to be like Michael. Like, Mike is, he's awesome. He's, he's everything I want to be. And, and I would go to his house and hang out with him, and we became really good friends. Mike was always popular, and he was always, like, like playing with older kids. And older kids, um, you know, wanted to roughhouse with him and chase him and whatever. Like, he was, he was just fun, and ev everybody liked Mike. Um, one day, I'm in the hallway, and I must have been working on a research paper, and I had a stack of books in my hand. Um, and Mike and another guy are chasing each other in the hallway, and Mike slams into me. And my books go everywhere. And somehow, it was like, I don't know if it was the unfairness of, man, he seems to have everything I want. Like, he's got friendships, he's popular, he's got good looks, he's athletic, he's, like, I don't know what it was, but something in that moment made me want to hurt him. And what are you going to say to somebody who's, like, tall and athletic and good-looking and dresses well? And, I mean, he's the kind of guy that makes clothes look good. And, and, and I just, I was looking for some way to just stab him and hurt him as much as for whatever reason I was hurting right then. 
And so I got up and I yelled at him a racial slur going back to slavery days. Mike looked like he'd been punched in the face. Because Mike and I had been really tight friends. And Mike punched me and I punched him. And the teacher came out and broke us up and sent us to the office. And as I'm walking to the office, the adrenaline going away, the shame and the guilt of what I had just said, the idea of facing my mom, who my mom traveled in the 60s with an all-black singing group, and she was sneaking in and out of tenement houses in Chicago during race riots. And the idea that this word came out of my mouth, my mom, I, 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 I just thought, I, and how will I face Mike's mom? Miss Edith had... I went to their house. I would call her mama because that's what Mike called her. And I thought, I can't believe this. And I, we went down and was waiting outside the principal's office. And I turned to Mike and I said, Mike, I'm so sorry. He's like, you know me. I'm not a bigot. And he said, dude, what's in your heart can never come out. And I thought, oh, man. But he went on and he said, you know what? This is what I get every day. This is what I get all the time. I am a black man in a white man's world. And he was. He was the only black male in our entire junior high and high school, and his sister was the only black female in our entire junior high and high school. And he said, um, uh, no matter what, like, these pastors and these teachers, they, like, I am the poster child for this stereotype. And so they all want to, like, take me out to ice cream because I don't have a dad and I live with my single mom. And he's like, but they won't let, let me date their daughters. And he began to just, he was so upset, and he's like, I'm just, I just don't add up. I go, no, you're making perfect sense. He goes, no, I don't add up. Like, I will never add up to be enough for these people. And Mike and I eventually patched things up. And there were times that I defended Mike. Other guys, for some reason, they thought that they could use that word as a nickname for him. And he became very hard-skinned about it and, and laughed it off. But I remember, like, we, we were, like, he and I both got on the baseball team. And a guy picked up his baseball hat and wrote that word on the inside of his hat. And I punched him, and, and the pastor of the, the church comes running over, what did you just do? And I was like, look what he did. He goes, oh, it was all in good fun. Oh, okay. Well, my punching was all in good fun. Go to the office, right? But that was a couple years after he graduated from high school. He's got a friend's house. Mike's dad goes to the funeral. They asked questions about what happened. And my brother said, yeah, he uh, was dating this girl. He broke up with her. Um, or actually, she broke up with him. He said she, that he wasn't what she was looking for. And he called Sharif, his older sister, and he said, yeah, I guess I'm just not good enough. And I'm never going to add up. And Mike took his own life. And I remember my brother saying, what a waste to waste your life for a girl. But it wasn't for a girl. Mike was faced with people who were throwing matches on his life his entire junior high and high school career. And coaches didn't stop it, and pastors didn't stop it, and teachers didn't stop it, and his friends participated, and all of us stood there throwing matches on Mike's life. And one day, we will stand before God, and we will have to give an account for our words. And God will say, your tongue was a fire, and you burned down my our, our tongue has enormous potential. And the scripture says, the entire course of life is set on fire by hell, and every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed 
is that human beings cannot tame their tongues. It is a restless evil. It is constantly trying to break out. It is full of deadly poison. When, when I was growing up, I grew up in Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, and we had Six Flags Great Adventure. And at Six Flags Great Adventure, there was a safari. And when you drove up to the safari, it said, no soft top cars, keep your windows open, don't stick your hands out. Why? Because they knew that there were wild animals that were surrounding this, and they looked tame, and they looked harmless, but they had enormous potential to do damage. And he says, in the same way, the tongue is constantly trying to break out. The tongue is constantly trying. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We curse people who are made in God's image, but we try to bless the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not be so. Does not a spring pour forth from the same opening, perhaps from salt water? No, it doesn't happen. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you get one fruit on one tree. Neither can salt, uh, salt pond yield fresh water. It's the idea of, of talking out of two sides of your mouth, talking, blessings coming out of this side, cursing coming out of the other. It's the picture of a forked tongue. It is the picture of, of the serpent who was in the garden who, who began to say, has God really said? And we speak the same way when we speak blessings and cursings over people and we try to bless God and we curse, we curse his creation. And so as, as he begins to unpack this stuff, he, he kind of leaves us in a lurch. He, he does talk a little bit about our motives. He says, hey, uh, who's wise and understanding among you? Who are those people that should be teaching? By their good conduct, let them show in works of meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, then um, do not boast and, and uh, be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Jealousy, if selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom which from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reasons, uh, open to reason, full of mercy, Good fruits, impartial, sincere, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so he kind of goes back and he addresses, it's like, what's the root that leads to this fruit? What is, what is the, the thing that's going on underneath the surface that makes people want to use their tongue in the wrong way? They want to be able to say, God told me to do this, and then they do something that's completely not what God would have. God wants me to treat me this way, and then to treat people exactly the way that God doesn't want. Like, what is that about? And he says, it's selfishness. It's ambition, it's pride, it's ego. And if you want to look at your motives, if you look at your motives and what's motivating you is your selfishness, your ego, your insecurities, then, then the things that are going to come out of your mouth are, are the things that are going to burn down the lives of people. But if you look at your motives and the things that are inside of you are, are heavenly things because the spirit is living in you, then they'll be pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy, impartial, sincere. This will be the stuff that then comes out and your, your mouth, your, your mouth, your tongue is, it's, it's a pilot light. It's constantly burning. And it can either bring warmth and health and life or it can bring death and destruction. And you can scorch and char everyone that's around you. And so he leaves us with, with kind of like, here's your motives and here's the enormous dark potential of, of, of the tongue. And then he doesn't give us like, okay, a, always be nice. B, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't give any, like, do this, right? He doesn't get, 
And here's what it's like. Those of you who took driver's ed before 1988, okay. Um, uh, back then, the last pit of driver's ed was a 30-minute video. They're like, we're going to have you watch the 30-minute video. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the 30-minute video, just before they're going to send us off on our way, um, they, they showed a series of accidents, right? So, and there's a warning. Thumbs up right at the beginning. Like some of you may have to step out if you have weak stomachs. And, and, and for 30 minutes, this thing is narrated by a state trooper. Like, yeah, this fella was going 80 miles an hour. He came along this bend. He did miss some thing, went into the ravine. And like he's going through and just narrating the whole thing. And you're seeing like cars cut in half. I remember a, a, a bus, uh, a kid stuck his head out of a bus and it hit a, a pole. Like uh, there was, there were body, like, and at the end of 30 minutes, we're all just absolutely like, what is that? And then the guy gets up and he quotes Hill Street Blues. All right, well, let's be careful out there. <laughs> and he sends us on our way, right? And what were they doing? They were saying, look, driving is a good thing. But driving has enormous potential. And that enormous potential is for good or for really bad things. And so when James leaves us hanging, it's like the last movie of Driver's Ed. He's saying, look, the tongue has enormous potential to do harm or to do good. And, and I'm going to tell you about the motives that will lead it to being bad, and I'll tell you about the motives that will lead it to being good. But you have to understand, your tongue is a fire. And that fire can either bring warmth and life, or it can char and, and burn down the lives of people who are around you. We shape our words. Our words shape us, and they shape those who are around us. And this is really important for us because we are people who are entrusted with the gospel, right? We are people who have been told, go into all the world and take the good news to all people. And the good news is words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we're taking words to people. We're taking the message that, that though they were sinners, Jesus died in their place. And if they place their faith in him, they can have life in this life and life in the next. And we're taking that message to all the world. We are all called to be teachers, not presuming to be teachers, like it says in the beginning, not presuming to speak for God, but we are all called to take God's message. And so we are people who our words will define everything that we say and everything that we do. And it will define this church. People will leave this church over words that are said. And people will come to this church because people invite them for words that say, right? And when you think about all of that, we have to understand that God knows that sometimes our words are going to be wrong. And he gives us a pass when our words go sideways. And he says in 1 John, if you will confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But he also gives a pass for what we need to do with people. And in Matthew, he says, he says, if you remember, you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that someone has something against you. That is, you said something and now they have something against you. Leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled and then come back and offer your gift. When we were planting in Los Angeles, it was funny. Yesterday, we saw this, this, uh, this, what had been a girl straight out of college. Now she's a mom of three or four. I think Tanya's not here. I'm looking at her for the number. Um, so she's a grown woman, and, and 
uh, this girl it came into our church, and we had some theological disagreement. Uh, her dad had um, been a, a seminary, a denominational seminary uh, in the Midwest, and so we had some, you know, things where I'm like, hey, this is what, what, what the Bible says, and this is what we teach, and she got really upset, and she somehow, it became very personal for her. She began to, like, throw me under the bus to people in, in the church, like, oh, well, Tim's this or that, and, and, and she began to speak about me, and I heard, you know, kind of people telling me, hey, you know, like, she's really she's going after you. And, and I, I thought, well, I, I could make much of this or I could just pray for her. And so I thought, well, let me pray for her and not address it. But one Sunday I, I had read, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled. And I thought I need to do it. And so as, as people were starting to take communion, um, I, I went to the back and there she was. And I said, hey, um, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I am not going to take communion until we can take communion together until we're reconciled because I feel like you've got something against me that's more than just we disagree about some things. Like disagreeing doesn't lead to like hate and disparaging. So something else is broken and I'm, this is how serious I'm about it. Like, you know, we take communion every Sunday. Um, I, I'm not going to take communion until we have this resolved. That week she went um, uh, to the doctor because she was having eye pain. And the doctor diagnosed her with a brain tumor, um, and she had to have surgery. And and that week, they, they it was so they had to do it very rapidly because the the tumor was growing so fast in the back of, of her brain that it was pushing her eyes forward. And and so as soon as she woke up, um, her parents were there. I was in the waiting room, um, and she, her, she saw her parents and she said, "I need you to go get Tim." And um, and they were like, are you, you know, hey, you just woke up. And she goes, I know, I need you to go get Tim. And so they went and got me, and, and one of them had to step out because she was, you know, like only two could be in the room. And she said, hey, as I was going under, she goes, I don't know if this was actually God. I don't know what it was, but I got this sense that if I didn't resolve things with you, if I didn't commit to do that, God was going to take me home in the middle of the surgery. And she goes, and I, like the first thing I thought when I woke up is, I want this to be right. Two weeks later, she was back on her feet. She was at church. We went forward to take communion together. And afterwards, people were asking, hey, what was that about? Why are you taking communion with Tim? What, you know, like you've been talking. She's like, and she went and started confessing to everybody. I've sinned. This is wrong. I shouldn't have handled. This is not right. This is not how we should use our words. And she and her husband became some of the most faithful members of our church. And when we left, they be, he became an elder in, in our church. Um, they're still there. They, th that church, I'm so sorry about this microphone today. Um, that church just planted a second church um, uh, two weeks ago. Um, that it, All because they were, they were integral in drawing people in and, and using their words in a healthy, positive way. Our words are a fire. And our words can bring life and they can bring warmth. Our words can bring destruction, and God is calling us to look very carefully at our words because our words reveal where our faith is, what we actually believe, and that's the book of James. The book of James is entirely, if you truly believe something, it's going to transform everything you say and everything you do. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God.